gentlemen, welcome to The Salty Pastor, a podcast designed to help you grow in your faith in order to help navigate this complexity of our current world. Uh, We're currently in a study titled Fight Club. Uh, Fight Club is all about the spiritual battle for your soul. If you're a man and you're wanting to understand the nature of your masculine heart, this series is for you. If you're a woman and you want to have a deeper understanding of the men in your life, this podcast is for you. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'm your host. And please welcome our very own Salty Pastor, Dr. Douglas (laughs) Peak. Welcome, all of you, to the Salty Pastor. I believe this study right now is one, one of particular importance because I, I'm starting to realize how very few Christians in America understand the spiritual battle that we are in each and every day. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I, I look at people who are following Christ and they are living with perpetual struggle in their life. And you hear more about how broken we are than how victorious we are. Mm. We hear more about how struggling we are, you know, the struggle is real, as opposed to how, hey, life is getting in order and there's productivity and I have a harvest and things are going great, you know. How much of a victim we are. Yeah, it seems like, you know, that becomes the thing that we talk about the most and what you talk about the most is tend to what you focus on the most. I look at the way the church uh, in general uh, closed during the pandemic. I'm not saying they simply stopped worshiping together in large groups because Mm. I think all churches did that, but they completely shut down. I mean, they did nothing. They didn't, they didn't do any ministry. Uh, there was a church here in town where the pastor didn't even answer emails that were sent to him. And I was like, what in the world is going on? I I can't, I, I just couldn't believe it. You know, here at Foothills, uh, we, we not only didn't shut and lock the doors, we immediately, I mean, in three days we pivoted to how are we going to act like the first century church? Cause mm. the first century church didn't have any buildings, buildings or, or large group events and stuff. They were persecuted mercilessly. They basically evangelized and worshiped in secret, you know, house to house. And so we immediately put all our eggs back into the first century church model and, and we just we ramped up instead of slowed down. We fed mm. more people. We started more uh, home church, and we, we call it church at home. We did all these kinds of things. And and I'd say, you know, 95 to 98% of our church went to church at home and online and yeah. so forth. But there were still, even on the leanest of days, there were still 20 people here that yeah. came to worship. You know, they were like, they, they were, I said, those are courageous People, our worship team showed up every mm. Sunday, you know. They we were come. very blessed by them. Yeah, we were. I was just, uh, you know, what courage they had to just keep showing up. And we asked them, hey, do you guys want to, like, not do it because of COVID? They go, no, we, we're coming to praise God. Mm. <laughs> so I, I was shocked at how many churches just shut down completely, didn't even attempt to do ministry. Uh, they've done a survey, a big study of what happened over the last year, and uh, our director of adult ministries, Dana, was telling me that only 3% of churches stayed open and continued to do ministry as best they could. And we were a part of that 3% mm. Foothills Christian Church was. So that, I guess that's, that's uh, something for us to, to look at and acknowledge because I, I believe people have 
lost the notion that we're in a battle, a spiritual battle for the soul. I look at men. I look at the way men treat women, interact with women, how they respect women. And I'm, you know, bottom line is I'm not really that impressed. I'm really not that (laughs) impressed, particularly younger guys. You know, many men have stopped acting like men out of fear of cultural rejection. They have listened to the world tell them this is what a man is, right? And what happens is I don't think women like that at all. Right. You know, they lament, where are all the good men? Well, this is what all of the ideologies in our society have produced. I look at women today, young women today, and how they interact with men. Uh, I see what they expect from men. A lot of women expect perfection out of their men while they ignore their own flaws and sins. And this is not good. I I look at society as a whole. Our society runs around, it detests weakness. It, it shuns insecurity. You know, it says being insecurity and having anxiety, you know, it's so bad. You got to get over it. They, it, it, uh, uh, doesn't like shame. You know, there's all this, Oh, these people are being shamed for whatever thing that's going on in their life. It's our society hates that. Uh, but meanwhile, it produces nothing but weakness, insecurity, and shame. Mm. And, and nobody wants to wake up and say, hmm, what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> the emperor has no clothes. And so if you're a Christian, Paul says over and over again, you are in a battle. You are in the fight club, whether you think you are or not. It is a spiritual fight in nature, meaning it, occu- it occurs within your soul, but it has material real world ramifications in your life. Um, If you're sidelined at the level of your soul in this battle, then it plays out in your everyday life. For instance, if you're a guy and you're sidelined at the level of your soul in fight club, then you're not going to live a courageous life. You're going to live a cowardly life. You won't live an assertive life, but a passive life. You won't face the future with confidence but you're going to look at it with insecurity and fear, feeling like you're, you're being manipulated by forces beyond your control. You know, it, it, you'll be lulled into the status quo of you're a victim of everything and you can't change anything in your life. And so that seems to me that what's going on, and that's why I think Fight Club is so important. Well, it sounds like everyone needs a dose of courage or something <laughs> yes. just i mean where everyone's talking about shots they need a shot of courage shot of they courage need. baby um so you're going to be preaching on acts 5 27 through 42 this sunday um let's dig into it kind of see what it has to say about finding your courage in a world where there's very little of it right now yes um so i'll read through some of these passages and then we'll discuss them so acts chapter 5 verse 27 reads The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put him to put them to death. But a Pharisee named 
Gam Gamaliel? Gamaliel. 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 A teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the, that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Theodos, the, Theodos, <laughs> Theodos, Theodos, Theodos <laughs> appeared, claiming to be somebody. About 400 men rallied, against, rallied to him. He was killed. All of his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas... The Gal uh, Judas the Galilean uh, appeared in his days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God." His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. <laughs> I need to read these a little closer before we start hey, this. Just to so get you the know, names. I, there's a class in seminary teaching you how to pronounce, pronounce these names. Pronounce all of these names. <laughs> It's crazy. But uh, I noticed some three main overarching principles here in this passage, and that is is that the apostles were on the Temple Mount, and they were preaching and teaching in the outdoor area. And as I have explained before, when you go to the Temple Mount, visit Jerusalem today, you realize this was a massive space. You know, right. you could have... Uh, I don't know, I would say anywhere from six to eight football fields up there really easily. It's just a massive a space. Huge, huge yeah, space. you could have easily 80,000 people up there, you know, gathered. I, I doubt that ever happened, but like, you know, you could put people in a stadium and so forth. It, right. It's very similar to that. And so they're there, they're there teaching and preaching and the crowds are getting bigger and bigger. And, and so... What's happening is these uh, Pharisees and Sadducees are threatened by this. They pull them in to talk to them. And the first thing I notice is the courage of the apostles in the face of imminent death. You know, verse 33, when they heard this, what uh, the apostles said, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. So they knew they were going into the backyard of the Sanhedrin, the Temple Mount. They were preaching and teaching Jesus is the resurrected, the Messiah. And then what happened is they knew that the Sanhedrin has the authority to put them to death. Mm. And you see this in verse 33, but the apostles went ahead and heroically stood and proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. This is an amazing thing to me. When you look back at the first century Christians, there is no doubt that they were some of the most courageous and heroic people you could ever imagine. This has been proven over and over again historically. These people were severely persecuted they were arrested, they were falsely accused, they were flogged, they were whipped, they were even stoned to death. Acts chapter 7 records the stoning to death of Stephen. They were starved, they had their businesses destroyed, they were thrown into prison, they were sent to work in mines, and this is just 
in the book of Acts. The mind part isn't in the book of Acts, but everything else is. Mm. Roman historians record just how bad it was for the first century Christians over and over again. Nero would take Christians and he would impale them on posts. He would wrap them with uh, dried vines and thickets drenched in oil, and then he would light them on fire to burn to death to illuminate his garden parties. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it just went on and on. And even in the midst of these horrific things that they did to Christians, feeding Christians to lions and wild beasts, uh, whether they were crucified or sent to mines to, to for slave labor for the rest of their life, it didn't matter because... The historians, Roman historians, recorded how these people would sing. Like when they were being, you know, attacked by wild beasts in the Colosseum, they would be singing praises mm-hmm. to God. They would be rejoicing in their suffering for the name of Christ. I mean, that is pretty, his, you know, yeah. heroic stuff. Uh, even Stephen, as he's being stoned to death in Acts chapter 7, you know the last thing he said, verse 60, he sa- it says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I mean, you're right. That's some very serious courage <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. back then. And what what allowed them to have such courage in the face of such powerful opposition. Like even just in the, the passage we read, I mean, the apostles are in front of the Sanhedrin. They're going... They know that they have the power to kill him. And they're like, we told you not to do this. And they're not like making excuses. They're just like, you're not our boss down here. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like we answer <laughs> yeah. to a higher authority than you. And yeah. we're not going to make excuses for it. So what gave them that courage? Well, I, I think we need to understand the nature of what heroism is. And that is heroism is uh, beyond the call of duty. You know, when you, uh, the Congressional Medal of Honor, these types of things are given to military personnel or people who do things above and beyond the call of duty. It's one thing to say, well, this is your duty, go and do it. But it's another thing to go above and beyond, so to speak. Right. And I, th- what, what causes you to go above and beyond something? Well, it's a conviction. You have to have an unequivocal, unwavering conviction. And, that is, and that's what's so interesting about our society today in America is that we love heroes, but we hate what they stand for. That does seem to be a contradiction. Yeah. It is a contradiction because <laughs> we love it when people do heroic things. They go the extra mile. They do these heroic things. But we hate the fact that what heroes do is they eliminate the gray. They live in a black and white world. You right. see, in our world, our postmodern world, wants gray. It wants nuance. It wants all of this. You know, no one knows completely. No one's sure. There is no truth. There is no objective thing. And these guys stood in front of the Sanhedrin and said, and here's the phrase that I think is what gave them the greatest amount of courage. It says, we are witnesses to these things. We saw. We saw him die on a cross we saw him buried in a tomb and then we had lunch with him 30 days later (laughs) okay so there is no way you're going to talk us out of the fact that we saw the resurrection with our own eyes you there's no way you could talk them out of it so in order for you and i 
to act heroically, we must be unequivocally convinced of something, a conviction that Jesus is true no matter what. So you kind of mentioned that you you saw three principles in this text. Uh, what's the second one uh, that you found? Yeah, that one about Gamaliel. Yeah, the, the Gamaliel argument. The Gamali- I think, is, is Gamalian argument. Gamalian. <laughs> Gamalian. Not to be confused with Galilean. <laughs> That's right. Hey, there's a rap song in there. Uh, there's somewhere. Galilean, Galilean, Gamma, Gamaliel. Gamaliel. <laughs> Oh, man, salty pastor, we know how to laugh. Well, here's the structure of the argument, basically. You know, when you go over it, he he says something that's really interesting. These guys were ready to go out and just, you know, kill him, right? And so Gamaliel says, okay, put these guys outside because we don't want them to hear what we're going to talk about. But you have to realize is that men of Israel consider carefully what you intend to do to these men because some time ago uh, Theodos appeared. He said he was somebody. 400 men rallied around him, but he was killed. And when that happened, what they all dispersed. They all left. They all left. As a matter of fact, when you look at all the movements, as soon as the leader is killed, what happens? They, they all disband. fall apart. Yeah. They disband. They all fall apart because it's a human being rallying people, right? Mm. They all disband. However, Jesus has had an impact, and ever since his resurrection, Christianity has only grown. Mm. It's grown and grown and grown until today, in the three major strains of it, uh, Eastern Orthodoxy, Roman Catholicism, and Protestantism, you have 2.8 billion people who follow Christ. Some people estimate it's around 3 Billion, And the main reason why is because there's a boatload of people in China who follow Jesus, but they don't. They can't report it. They can't report it or track it. And, of course, China does everything it can to manipulate the stats and data and all that kind of stuff like that. So here's a side note. Uh, China wanted to talk about how they're getting clean water to all of their people. Mm -hmm. And so what they did is they made a bunch of fake faucets. And they went into villages and glued them to walls. Oh, my gosh. So there's no water there. But they glued it to the wall, took a picture, and said, see, we have clean water for all of our people. Just so that everybody knows that the salty pastor points out the evil of the CCP. Not the Chinese people. Love the Chinese people. But the Chinese Communist Party is evil. And because I say this regularly, I don't think I'll ever be allowed yeah, to travel think, to China. I don't think you're getting to go to China. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or if I do, I'm not coming yeah. back. <laughs> but what's happening is... Uh, you know, Gamaliel's argument is that they're, don't fight against God. If it's, if it's just a human invention, it's going to fall apart. But if it's of God, it's going to continue to grow. So the implication is that it was a movement of God early on. And at every effort, it was designed to be stopped. In other words, the Roman Empire very early on rejected Christianity and outlawed it. it. It started probably under Nero. He was the first persecution. And here's, and here's why. What a lot of people are unaware of the history of this, and that is, is that in the Roman Empire, you were required to say, uh, basically, Caesar is Lord, meaning he's the ultimate Lord. You could serve and follow 
any God you wanted as long as you said Caesar's above them all. Right. Well, Christians refuse to do that. And so Christians then uh, initially they thought is just a sect of Judaism. Now, Judaism was the only belief system in the Roman Empire was exempt from saying that Caesar is above all gods. And the reason why is because they were really, really good administrators and managers and all these kinds of things. And they, were, they weren't really that big. They and wanted so, them for their productivity. Yeah, they wanted them for their productivity. And what ended up happening is they early on learned that it wasn't a part of Judaism. It was separate. And so what ended up happening is uh, Nero, who was kind of crazy, he was really bothered by Rome. He was a big builder. You know, he built uh, Nero Circus, which is today the place where St. Peter's Basilica for, or the Vatican exists. Mm. It was originally uh, Nero Circus, not the Colosseum, but he, he had all these big building projects. And there was this area where he wanted to build something, you know, but there was kind of a part of Rome that wasn't that nice. And so he sent his thugs in there to light a little fire to burn it down. Well, it got out of control. It burned down a third of Rome. And so everybody wanted to kill him. And so he blamed the Christians. He said, these weirdos did it. And that, that was kind of the start of the assault. And, and that's, very, that's very similar to what happens today in our society. You know, it's today it is, is, is what I find so interesting is that people in secular society, the uh, people who are really progressive and secular humanists and uh, scientific materialists and atheists and so forth, even our media says today is say, well, Christians hate people who are homosexual, which of course is a, a blatant lie. It's a false accusation. But that's what everybody says all the time. Just right. like Nero blamed the Christians for burning down Rome. And so a lot of people think this is why Paul was executed by Nero because he appealed to Caesar. He went before him. And then, of course, because he was a Christian, Nero had him executed. Mm. So um, I, think, I think Gamaliel's argument has everything to do with the fact that God, even when people are trying to oppress Christianity, has continued to grow. Now, in the past, uh, I've been challenged on this saying, okay, well, then that's an, that's an affirmation that Islam is a movement of God as well because it's done nothing but grow. grow. And I said, well, that's because you have a tremendous ignorance of history, and that is, is that Islam was a military movement. And so all of its growth was not done under persecution. All of their growth was done through war and conquering. And they would go in and then they would eliminate anybody who was a non-believer. So that's one way to grow. Right. And so they did it that way. So to compare the two is not historically accurate. So this brings us kind of the last principle in this passage. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you see there? Well, the last principle I think has to do with the fact it comes from verse 41 is that they were flogged. So they escaped death, but then they got flogged. Right. And here, what was their reaction to being flogged? They, I mean, they rejoiced in it. Yeah. I mean, they were like, we did it, boys. <laughs> we, yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't, wow, 
we're so happy we escaped death and only got flogging. They were like, man, we're going to get flogged. This is awesome. Right. You see, they looked at the, the act of flogging, which is a severe whipping. They saw that and rejoiced, and they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy to suffer in the same way that Christ suffered. They were, they were rejoicing that they suffered disgrace. Isn't that interesting? Mm. They suffered disgrace for the name, and that means Jesus Christ. So what they knew that what was happening to them was disgraceful, but they rejoiced in it because they found themselves considered worthy of similar to things that Christ went through. That's what I call heroism, right? Yeah. They intentionally went out of their way to suffer the consequences and embrace them. This reminds me of Martin Luther King and why he had the righteous uh, high ground is that he challenged uh, Jim Crow laws that only existed in the South and he challenged them and he told his people is that we are going to break them and then we are going to rejoice in suffering the consequences of breaking those laws. And so he wrote, you know, he did that one time in Birmingham, Alabama. He was arrested. He was in prison or in jail. And he wrote one of his most famous theological things uh, that had a huge impact on the philosophy of America and our founding documents. And it's called The Letter from Birmingham Jail. And in it is when he articulated the notion that our founding fathers had adopted a biblical worldview that all men are created equal. And these laws show how America is not living up to its founding principles. Mm. You see, so he had the righteous high ground because of that. And so, so we look at what's happening today and we don't see any righteous or moral high ground in what's going on today. And we'll talk a little bit more about that on Thursday. But I think what's so fascinating is these people were so courageous because they were not only willing to face the consequences, they rejoiced in suffering the consequences. And that's why they acted so heroically. They knew they could lose their lives. They knew they would suffer for righteousness, but they did it regardless. They stood tall. Um, how often do you hear that from followers of Jesus in America today? You know, and so part of the reason why, I, I want to be fair, part of the reason why is because, well, there aren't a whole lot of laws that stand against us. So, you know right. what I'm saying? So we can't really go out and suffer the, the unjust uh, consequences of a law, but it's growing. It's growing immensely. You know, I, I think of this guy who simply says, look, I, I'll make baked goods. I'll sell them to anybody for anything. But if you ask me to cre do something creative, for something I don't believe in, I'm not going to do it. And this guy in Colorado has been just harassed and sued and sued and sued over and over and over again. And yet he just stands tall. He's not a talkative guy. He's not a charismatic guy. He's kind of a real quiet, introverted guy, you know, who wants to sit in a back room and bake things. Right. And yet here he is acting heroically. He's acting heroically. And so I think that that's really important. There's a, a gal back east in Massachusetts who is currently, she is a photographer. You know, she goes around, she, she, has, she has professional photo, photographic services. And so uh, what's happening is a bunch of people 
you know, uh, are trying to hire her to do their uh, same-sex weddings that they don't, she doesn't support, you know, and she's never taken a stand against it or anything, but what they did is they trolled her, right, found out she was a Christian, and then they start calling her and say, come do this, and so she, you know, it's like, well, no, I'm booked, or no, I'm not this, and so what they did, though, is they tried to get all of these no's and then go after her for saying, well, she's not doing it because she's a, you know, a, a homophobic bigot, and so, they're, they're intentionally going out and trying to eradicate. They're looking for ways to persecute Christians for their convictions. And so I think this is really fascinating that, that, that here are some people that are standing tall and they are not, they are not succumbing to it, you know? So I, I think that, that this is important because a lot of people are like, well, this is really important to save our culture. And I go, I'm not disagreeing with you, but that's not why you stand tall. Right. That's not why you stand courageously in the face of suffering or persecution. The reason why you do it is because you're in a battle for your soul. It's not about what direction culture's going in. It's about what's happening in your heart and what Christ is doing in you. And if you want a faith that is dynamic and you want a faith that is powerful, you want a faith that overcomes every obstacle, if you don't want to live like a victim, feeling like you're being manipulated by every wind of doctrine, if you don't want to lose yourself because you're influenced emotionally by all of these ideologies that are flowing around, if you want to be a person that has courage, if you want to stand tall for what you want to believe in the face of adversity, if you want to overcome, if you want to be victorious in this life, if you want to reap the harvest of every good thing that God has promised through the fruit of the Spirit, if you want to live in the inheritance of every spiritual blessing, then you got to discover your courage because courage is where it comes from. And you're not going to discover courage if you live a cowardly life. And a cowardly life is when you say, oh, it's not that big a deal. I'll compromise my way into heaven. And when you compromise way into heaven, you find that you fall short. But when you're willing to stand up because I have seen it, I believe it. You will not convince me otherwise. My faith is not shaken. I will grab a hold of the very promise of the resurrected Jesus Christ. I will not live in this world any longer, letting it dictate to me what I believe and how I feel. I will look to Christ. I will look to heaven and the people who are the most heavenly minded, the people who are most focused on Jesus Christ are the people who live the most courageous worldly lives right here and right now well i think that is a wonderful place to uh kind of wrap up for the day um this is kind of we're, we're wrapping up our fight club study i think we're talking a little bit more about it on thursday right mm-hmm. um but that'll be the end and our hope is to actually gather everything we've done between the sermons and what we've talked about on the podcast and then expand that with a little more content and then create a book available sometime this summer, like June-ish, yeah, right? Yeah. We'd like to put it in book form. It'll have a lot of expanded content in it. So be looking forward to that. Next week, we're going to be honoring our mothers, um, which will be a, a great time to yes. celebrate them. And uh, you guys can look forward to that. But we hope to hear you, see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor. All right, blessings everybody and be a part of Fight Club.